Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show for entrepreneurs and for small businesses. Now, you're the people that will grow the economy. You're the people that will create more jobs, and you're the people that will change our economic fortunes. You are the people that will kickstart this economy and rebuild the nation and create the high-skilled jobs for we, that we need for the 21st century. So this program is all about you. But just listening just before the intro, I uh, was listening to the promotion for Voice America Kids. So if make sure you get your kids to tune in. It's a, a great learning experience. Now, on this program, we try to inform small business owners and startups like yourselves about every aspect of business to enable you to be more successful. This is your show. You let us know what you would like us to talk about, and we'll try to bring you the latest and best information. We'll try to show you how to avoid making the mistakes that those of us who went before you, people like me, I've made lots of mistakes and lots of classic mistakes. And uh, I formed a great mentor group a number of years ago, which saved me from making a lot more. Now, there's nothing more rewarding or invigorating than becoming an entrepreneur and controlling your own destiny, having the flexibility of changing anything that isn't working and creating better solutions. But being successful is a lot more than having a great product or service. That's only 10 or 15% of the battle. The other 85% is your business strategy, your ability to run a business and to manage people. Now, earlier this month, officials from the University of Wisconsin announced plans for a flexible degree program, which will allow students to enrol when it suits them, study online at their own pace, and gain academic credit for knowledge that they've acquired in the workplace. Completion of the program is based on competency, not on the amount of time you spent sitting in a lecture hall. So if students can show that they know their stuff, they can skip over the introductory courses and other prerequisites to get their degree sooner. Now, anyone can transform their professional expertise into a college diploma, and that's got to be a really good thing. Now, once upon a time, everybody learned on the job through formal or informal apprenticeships. Apprentices learnt their trade by working alongside master craftsmen. Much of today's work, however, is not that cut and dried or as easy to define. Today, it's a combination of social, emotional and intellectual labour. Cognitive scientists Collins, Brown and Newman said that novices can engage in a cognitive apprenticeship like a traditional apprenticeship, but this form of training pairs a rookie with a worker who's far more advanced and adapts the older custom to the new needs of executives, managers, salespeople and other professions who work with their heads rather than their hands. Their view was that cognitive 
apprenticeships proceed in three steps. Firstly, the, the master models the skill for the apprentice. Secondly, the master coaches the apprentice to execute that skill. And thirdly, the master pulls back as the apprentice is increasingly able to work independently. Through this system, the apprentice learns to identify and correct mistakes and to integrate their growing knowledge and skill into a smooth, coordinated performance. Now, I reckon this is a great idea. Often with someone, you know, someone with only an academic education, when they enter the workforce, it can take a year or more before their work is actually of benefit to the company. With this combination, the person gets an education that is both practical and on-the-job experienced. You know, there's some learning that's still best done in an academic setting. If I uh, had to go in for a major operation, I'd prefer a surgeon who's not an apprentice learning on the job, even if he has got somebody leaning over his shoulder. But I believe it's a giant step for universities to recognise that the classroom is not the only place to learn. Now, we get a lot of emails here at the Bob Pritchard Show, and a common question is, how can I be a better boss? Now, that is a bloody good question, and there are lots and lots and lots of theories. However, in the McKinseyQuarterly.com this week, I found an article, and I thought it was pretty good. As a small business owner or manager, you have the ability to set the tone for the whole organisation. So you want to be sure that your employees are as happy and as productive as possible. Firstly, you have to develop those employees. Don't direct them. You know, yelling at or barking orders at employees only goes so far. You need to ensure that you cultivate that talent for the long-term success of your business and you want them to stay by yelling at them or, you know, giving them directions in an unpleasant manner. All you do is encourage them to leave. Secondly, you need to deal with problems head on. No matter what they are, how hard they are or how embarrassing they are, they only get bigger and nastier and more embarrassing if you ignore them. Thirdly, you've got to be a team player. Get in there and celebrate the accomplishments of others on your team and the achievement of team goals. When everybody achieves something or individuals achieve something, celebrate it. Now, your personal gain should come second. Fourthly, and critically important, you've got to learn to delegate. You need to plot a strong strategic path need to maximise input from your team and then trust and empower your staff to achieve it. Next, you've got to be decisive and consistent. You must be firm but not unreasonable. Constantly shifting directives accomplishes absolutely nothing. So you've got to see important initiatives through to completion. Finally, you need to show interest in your employees' lives. A little personal knowledge, understanding and empathy goes a hell of a long way. Another question we get a lot of is how do you make sure you hire the right people? 
I don't take the um, regular HR position when I hire. I think most standard resumes are bullshit, all taken from a template, and references are often very suspect. So I like people with unconventional resumes. The people are likely to be much more creative and much more genuine. You know, we used to base, judge people based on experience, knowledge and skill and their qualifications. But things have changed dramatically over the past 10 years. Knowledge has become as rapidly obsolete as it is universally available. Secondly, we live in an in- increasingly uncertain and volatile world which is extremely unpredictable and finally business has become more global it's more fluid and it's more diverse this has meant experience and knowledge are less relevant while the ability to learn and adapt to be resilient and to connect with others has become more and more important So we need to consider people who have shown a penchant for personal disruption. We should look for three things. Readiness for the job, readiness for the job, then flexibility of skills and potential for further development. Nonlinear job changes can tell a lot about several powerful emotional intelligence based competencies. Flexibility, adaptability, empathy, organisational awareness, and relationship management. These attributes differentiate stars from average performers in new roles. They also tell you a lot about about their potential because they show a candidate's curiosity, their insight, their inspiration, and their determination. And that suggests that they've got the ability and the desire for learning and challenge. It's also important for all aspiring executives to think about disruption in the context of their careers and to consider job changes that prove an ability to master new companies, sectors, cultures and new strategies. You'll be measured against people who have already done that. There was also an interesting article in Time magazine this week. There is no bigger cliche in business psychology than the idea that high self-confidence is the key to career success. It's time to debunk this myth. In fact, low self-confidence is more likely to make you more successful. Contrary to popular belief, self-confidence is only helpful when it's low. Sure, extremely low confidence is not helpful. It inhibits performance by because you're afraid, you're worried, you've got stress, and that'll drive people to give up sooner rather than later. But just enough just low enough confidence can help you recalibrate your goals so that they are both more realistic and more attainable. Not everybody can be a Jack Welsh or a Steve Jobs. So if your confidence is low rather than extremely low, you stand a better chance of succeeding than if you have high self-confidence. There are three main reasons for this. Firstly, lower self-confidence makes you pay attention to negative feedback and be self-critical. Therefore, the more aware you are of your soft spots and weaknesses, the better prepared that you'll be. Low self-confidence may turn you into a pessimist, but when pessimism teams up with ambition, it often produces outstanding performance.
Secondly, lower self-confidence can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. And if you're serious about your goals, you'll have more incentive to work hard when you lack confidence in your abilities. Thirdly, lower self-confidence reduces the chances of you coming across as arrogant or deluded. According to Gallup, over 60% of employees either dislike or hate their jobs. If their managers were less arrogant, fewer employees would be spending their working hours on Facebook. Productivity would go up. Turnover rates would go down. People with low self-confidence are also more likely to admit their mistakes instead of blaming others, and they don't take credit for other people's accomplishments. As a result, low self-confidence can bring success, not just to individuals, but also your organisation and society. So I hope that you get onto my website, bobpritchard.com, and roll for my July newsletter which is now out. Don't forget to email me, bob at bobpritchard.com. Tweet me at thebobpritchard. Join me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Google+. Contact me any way that takes your fancy. Just don't ignore me. And if you want to book me for a presentation for your business, drop me an email. I guarantee I'll fire up your team and get you great results. I'm Bob Pritchard. I'll be back in a moment with my first guest. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the program that's dedicated to helping startups, entrepreneurs, and small businesses in general, no matter where you are in the world, to become more successful in this highly competitive and media-fragmented environment. And here at the Bob Pritchard Show, we're now tracking listeners in over 50 countries. And this is a segment where we talk to people who are making a difference to companies in in achieving differentiation and not becoming commoditized. 
And we're always looking for new ways to cut through the clutter, to stand out from our competitors and create that critical emotional front of mind recall. Now, my second guest today is Ashton Bishop, who is one of the world's leading predatory marketers. I love that term, predatory marketers, fantastic. I've got to have that on my business card, Bob Pritchard, predatory marketer. It's got a real power thing about it, hasn't it? He's an expert in pinpointing how brands can grow by outsmarting their competitors. Ashton has run multi-million dollar campaigns for billion dollar brands. He's received film awards, guest lectured at leading universities, has won creative and strategic recognition from his peers, and in a world first, has brought marketing strategy together with digital technology. In short, he is one hell of a clever guy. Ashton, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks for the intro, Bob. How are you, mate? Uh, very well, yeah, enjoying a little bit of sunny Sydney in one of the 50 countries that you cover. So, yeah, we uh, we love your stuff and uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Um, mate, you got me fascinated. What the hell is predatory marketing all about? I guess my first question that comes to mind is what is it? Why is there a need for it? And how the hell does it work? Well, the need for it is, Bob, is that things are becoming more and more fragmented than ever. So about 20 years ago in the United States, you could reach 80% of the population with just three television commercials. Nowadays, to do that same sort of reach, to reach 80% of the population, you need how many, do you reckon? I don't think you can do it. Uh, Not with television. 150. So it's three to 150, and you see that, you know, with 50 times as many impacts required uh, to reach the same amount, the price of TV hasn't dropped uh, to 150th of the price. And it's just about, you know, oversaturation of messages. So there was some research done that said each year we receive a million branded messages. So it's a million branded messages we each receive every single year. Yeah, it's 3,000 every day. Yep. Out of that, we notice 80, we act to 10, and over half pisses off. So it's becoming harder and harder to cut through. So the need for predatory marketing is often as a small business owner or somebody who's looking to challenge a larger competitor, all we do is we end up putting out the same stuff and trying to be like the larger competitors. And five-ninths of marketing is actually misattributed to a brand leader. So if you see a hamburger, if you see an ad for a hamburger and you're not quite sure and you didn't catch the ending, who's the hamburger ad for? Yeah, it's McDonald's. Absolutely, and that's what we face is that when you're trying to be a smaller marketer or challenge, you actually need to be predatory and make sure that your advertising isn't making the market leader stronger. Actually, there's another side to that because it's actually, while it's much more difficult and you've got to use 150, 180 television stations, it's actually more complicated than that, isn't it? Because people have got less attention span, they're more cynical about advertising, so it's probably twice as hard to get your message to cut through as it used to be 20 years ago. Absolutely. That's really insightful, Bob. And that's really what it comes down to is that being predatory is about sharpening your message so that it's more in tune with the attention span that people have nowadays. Because see, the model that most advertisers still using was born in, in out of the 50s and the 60s, out of the Mad Men days, yeah. when people actually had needs. See, what we have now is we have don't needs. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go to a supermarket and there's something like up to 26,000 what they call SKU, storekeeping yep. units. Yes. That means there's 26,000 choices when you go to a supermarket. The, the fastest growing supermarket chain, certainly in Australia, is Aldi, which has 1,500. Yep. 1,500 versus 26,000. They've tuned into the fact that people actually want less choice. <laughs> That's the need. <laughs> they well, want it, things simpler and they want things more pointy. Yeah, it got, it, well, it's got ridiculous when you go down the soap powder aisle and there's 400 soap powders made by two companies. Um, exactly right. Which is just bloody ludicrous. And, and that's what predatory marketing comes back to is saying, rather than being just another soap powder, the job isn't to get people to try and buy soap powder, it's to get them to buy yours over your competitors. And to do that, you need to be predatory in your message. Why is this different than... Um, a really clever consumer purchasing benefit or used to be a USP where you say blue Omo washes whiter than white. Um, ridiculous statement, but it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that worked well in a different age where people needed their clothes washed and powder was a solution for that. Now, as you said, there's about 10 different powders. So if they're all washing white, I need to know not just the will it get me white, I need to know why to buy yours over somebody else's. Yes. It becomes, you're not driving the need within the category because the need's already satisfied. You actually need to chase the dollars. And it starts from a proposition of saying, who else has, who's currently got your money? You know, as a brand owner or somebody who's marketing, your job is to make sure the dollars go to you from where they were going instead. You know, the dollars are already committed. They're already being spent. We do a campaign or we want to set a budget figure for next year. There's suddenly not more money. The money actually has to come from somewhere else. And it's a marketer's job to say where are the dollars currently and what message do we need to deliver to make sure they come to us. Now, can I just, can I just ask a quick question? So is predatory marketing a slogan or whatever or is it a total marketing package? Uh, it's a system, and I'll give you the system and show you how it works. Okay. So it's, it's simply defined, but it's not easy to implement. It was something that I learned from a guy called Dave Trott, who's a Hall of Famer yes. and my marketing mentor. Yes. And what it says is, for predat- to be truly predatory, you need to strike at the weakness that arises out of your competitor's greatest strength. Right. So it's a bit tricksy. So it's strike at the weakness that arises out of your competitor's greatest strength. Because what it does then is achieves the greatest impact but makes response most difficult. So if we run an example and we say, look, uh, Burger King and McDonald's, and at the time there's a whole bunch of number twos. There's Wendy's, Jack in the Box, sure. a whole a bunch. So you apply that thinking. You know, say, Wendy's is now number two. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. About a month well, because... ago, I overtook. It's surprising to me, but... Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's interesting that Subway sort of uh, took the whole category from That's underneath right. everyone. I can't wrap my mind around square hamburgers, so I don't buy <laughs> Wendy's at all. <laughs> but if, 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 we, if we go back to a, a point where, you know, if you're going to take on McDonald's, how do you do it? And you apply the predatory position saying, strike at the weakness that arises out of your competitor's greatest strength. So what's right. McDonald's greatest strength? Hmm. Is, I can think of a few of them, really. Yeah, but the, the consistency is really its greatest okay. strength. No matter where in the world you go, it's the yep. same. It doesn't matter whether you go to, of course, they don't serve cow in India and you get a burger royale sure. in France, yep. but essentially there's a, there's a procedure manual that's as thick as three phone books that tells you that no matter where in the world, it's the same. Now, yep. the weakness that arises out of that is that if you've had a big night and you can't face the pickles, trying to get the 15-year-old behind the counter to take the pickles out 
was just too hard. You know, you ask them, the alarm goes off, the system breaks down. Yep. And Burger King got really good at changing the pickles, putting in the sauce, having a piece of tomato. They came up with the most, one of the most famous campaigns of all time, which was Have It Your Way. Yeah, Have It Your Way, yep. And really connected to, you know, if you look at who consumes the most fast food, 16 to 24-year-olds, rationally, you can deliver a personalised burger, but emotionally it's about the individuality. Sure. And see, the thing about predatory is it makes response most difficult because for McDonald's to respond, they need to actually change the system. There's another great example here of Nike uh, or when skins, uh, skins are a performance undergarment, sure. yep. Yep. which is lacking acid build-up. They came to Australia. And we all know the formula for advertising sports, whereas you, you take a, a sports star, you pay them a stack of money, yep. and they, they wear your product. And Skins would apply that, uh, that thinking, and they could afford the East Dapso under 13 girls netball goal attack for six weeks. They just didn't have the budget because all the great sports stars were already taken for the big brands. So they apply predatory marketing. And you say, what's the weakness that arises out of the greatest strength? So the greatest strength is the big brands, the Nike, Yadis, the Reeboks, have everyone. Yep. The weakness that comes out of it is there's a lie within the sponsorship model that it's not the sportswear that's making people good. Yep. It's the fact that, you know, Tiger's father took him down to the golf course when he was a five-year-old and told him to play 20 rounds before he could come home at night. Yep. So that's what made him good to practice. And Skins found that underneath these sponsored clothing, the athletes were wearing skins underneath the, the, sponsor, the sponsor gear. So they're wearing Adidas shorts and underneath they're having skins. So skins right. didn't add. And it said, big sportswear companies pay athletes millions of dollars to wear their clothing. Those same athletes. Yeah. And the thing is, is that in fix the greatest damage and makes response most difficult. Because if you're not proud of this, you can't just drop the sponsored athletes. So being predatory is an incredibly powerful way to market. Yeah. Well that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, can anybody use it or is it only particular types of brands that use it? Is can it be used by any any product? Yeah, well, I've done campaigns for some of uh, Australia's largest brands. We did some for the Australian, but I've also done it for one person startup with an ideas. Uh, so there was a and and in the B two B environment as well. So I can just give an example of a small B two B client, if, if that would help. Yeah, so there was sure. a guy and he was billing himself as he was just another consultant. He's billing himself as a, a part time CFO was the way he was marketing himself. So okay. a one person startup. Yep. And an out an outsource. A part-time CEO sounds like he's going to roll up uh, drunk and work for half a day. So we said, we need to do something about your marketing. Yep. And we sat down with him and we figured out he actually wanted clients that the big four would go to, but he obviously needed to find a, a much more niche positioning. So we positioned him as somebody who would help entrepreneurs. And we gave him a positioning line that was quite predatory, which was an entrepreneur's secret weapon. Right. But under an entrepreneur's secret weapon, we are quite predatory is that the big four were established. So we gave him a little line that said, trained by the big four, because he'd worked for them in the past. Yep. So you got big four type thinking in a way that could be applied to other entrepreneurs. So it was all about taking your ideas from the garage to the bank. So that became the entrepreneur's secret weapon, which was really quite a predatory position for him. Yeah. So... The um, 
how do our listeners start putting predatory marketing into into practice? Well, I, I guess the thing is to first just write down the sequence that we talked about. So strike at the weakness that arises out of your competitor's greatest strength. So it's just a four-part series of saying, first of all, define your target and see where the dollars are going to already. So within your category, the money's going somewhere. Think about the behaviour that you need to switch and where the dollars are at the end of it. Yes. Once you've figured out your target, you look at their strength. You say, what's really the strength that's getting them success? And then the bit where you need to flip to the other side of the mind is you then say, what's the weakness that arises out of that strength? Because for every strength that's in the marketplace, there's an inherent weakness. There's a weakness within it. And then when you do that, you just frame for relative advantage. It all, it all comes back to, uh, I don't know if you've read Sun Tzu, The Art of War, but one of his principles is that the, the landscape of the battle determines the outcome. And it's right. beautifully demonstrated in the movie 300, where 300 men hold off 10,000. And you're doing exactly the same thing with your marketing. You're framing to a battleground where you're strong. Right. And then that that becomes the cornerstone of your campaign, which you then use through all applications in all mediums. Exactly right. Well, you actually sort of the more targeted and more specific you can be, uh, the more effective predatory marketing is. So what what we do is we you give you the system and then you just run the system time and time again. So we had a recruitment problem for our agency. You know, we're a small agency at the time. And uh, we couldn't find staff. We'd tried doing all the traditional advertising methods. Yes. We'd spent six months, $1,500, and we just had got no, no results whatsoever. So we decided to do a video, which was a recruitment campaign uh, yep. that was quite predatory against the big advertising agencies. Uh, and if you Google uh, stop working with wankers, uh, you'll <laughs> yeah. find that video and the case study that goes with it. It was incredibly successful. We went from no people within six months to having 42 CVs in two weeks. And we had a group interview with 15 people and it was it made it to 32 blogs internationally. So uh, that was just an example of you can be predatory in any aspect of your business. It's just it's a different way of thinking. It gets your results. So that stop working with wankers.com I love it I uh, know if, if, if you google it if you just google stop working with wankers or if you go to the step change YouTube oh, okay. channel okay. Uh, you'll, you'll find that but yeah it's uh, it, it was an incredibly successful case study for us and if anyone uh, of your listeners would like more case studies of course we, we can help them out they just contact me on LinkedIn and we'll give them a, a 10 series autoresponder of case sure. studies if, if they want more examples okay Ashton thanks very much for speaking to me today um And the great thing about business and marketing is that no matter what business you're in, in which of the 50-plus countries that you're listening to us, the information that we've just got from Ashton can benefit all of us. So if you want to learn more about Ashton and predatory marketing, go to www.stepchangemarketing.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This show is dedicated to helping small business become more successful in this highly competitive and depressed market environment. Now, this is a segment where we talk to people who are really making a difference out there helping business and companies achieve success. My guest today is Joyce Joyar, who began her business career as an entrepreneur at the tender age of just 14, when she founded Jack and Jill Parties for Children. Later, at the age of 28, she was the youngest national magazine publisher in the United States. That's quite a feat. Now, Joyce is president and CEO of the Herman Group, and employer of Choice Inc. She's a certified management consultant and a professional speaker, and she focuses on the human side of enterprise. As a strategic business futurist, Joyce Herman Trend Alert is distributed to 29,000 people in 87 countries in three languages every week. And that is one hell of a big feat. Providing a unique combination of high-tech and high-touch, she helps her diverse clients prepare for business tomorrow. Joyce has written five business books, three business bestsellers, and is often quoted in the media, including Business Week, Entrepreneur, The Christian Science Monitor, USA Today, and NPR. And she's served clients in 46 states and on six continents. In fact, Joyce is winging away off to Asia on Thursday for more client presentations. Hiya, Joyce. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hello, Bob. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, We talk in this program all the time about the number of 20th century jobs in this country that are lost and are never coming back, and we need to develop 21st century jobs. What are the skills most in demand at this point, Joyce? The the greatest demand right now is for folks who have what we call the STEM skills, 
and that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. People who have background in those subjects are in great demand right now, whether they're technicians or graduate engineers or just mathematicians. We need actuaries. Uh, we actually have shortages. I just wrote about this last week of folks who have a background in Islamic banking and finance because that yep. segment of the world's population is growing so incredibly And vastly quickly. different. So there's a wide range of skills that are in short supply. The big problem that we have in this country is that we have millions of people who are perfectly trained and very capable, Bob, of handling jobs that no longer exist. Yeah, that's right. And we have employers, thousands of them, who are desperate to find people to fill their jobs, and we just don't, we simply don't have the trained people to fill those jobs. It's no wonder that we're doing offshoring and outsourcing and, and looking for any way we can to get the job done. We are in very deep trouble in this country. In fact, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's actually a commercial from one of the oil companies, I believe it is. Yeah, I've seen it on television, yeah. Shell, I think, yes? Yeah. And it talks about the fact that we're 25th in the world in uh, science and math. I mean, it's just deplorable. And going backwards. For a country like the United States, States, which has so many resources and so many talented people, to be 25th in the world is awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a priority thing, isn't it? We, we have a lot of great swimmers, though. <laughs> maybe our and pro- basketball players yeah, maybe and our, football players. Mm. Yeah, maybe our priorities are a bit wonky. Um, a lot are of people, they ever? A lot of people migrate from one job to another, um, pe- and people seem to stay in jobs less time. This, this must be causing a heartache for, for HR departments all over the world. Oh, for sure. Um, it's... I mean, when you look at the younger generations, they have friends who say, you've been there a year? What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a lot worse in the, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, a lot worse than it is now because there's a lot of fear out there. Yeah. there to a degree, there, the people are doing what we call corporate cocooning. They're staying in the safety and security of their warm corporate cocoons. They don't like their jobs. They don't like their bosses. They don't even like the logo on the building. But they're they got a staying because they're scared. Yeah. They're, they're afraid. And you know what's really going to be interesting is that this new, this new health care bill hmm. is going to be very detrimental to employers <clears throat> excuse me, who have not paid attention to taking care of their people. Because there are a lot of people who are just with those particular employers because of the health care package. And now it's going to level the playing field. And there are a lot of small companies that are going to be giving their people money to go out and buy health care on the open market. And so 
it's really going to be interesting to see what happens in that regard. Yeah, of course, and and unhappy uh, employees do not... Um, create anything they're not innovative they they don't increase productivity all they do is sort of stagnate and and nobody wins from that do they no we call them attending work (laughs) yeah and and i believe that they infect the rest of the people in the workplace so we really need to either transfer them or promote them in some cases if they're in the wrong job or terminate them. Yeah. Yeah, the health, it's interesting that you mentioned the healthcare thing because, um, you know, I've been living in California for 25 years, but I'm originally an Aussie. And I'm used to a system where everybody gets free healthcare. I mean, everybody, doesn't matter who you are in the country, you go in and you get fixed and you leave and somebody pays and uh, it works extraordinarily well and we have a very very healthy population at a third of the cost of health care in the united states i don't get it but that's another subject for another day i guess um, yes it, it's definitely another subject for another day and <laughs> yeah. i can explain it to you unfortunately it's not a pretty picture yeah what does the latest research say that employees are looking for um in an employer that that employers employees are looking for an employer when people are looking for a job what are they looking for they're looking for three things really they're looking for typically career pathing and depending on how old they are they're they're looking for career pathing training and they want to be taken care of. They want to feel appreciated. They want to have meaningful work. Yeah. And that's more important than the, than a few extra bucks a week? Well, it depends. Um, when, when we had gotten to the point where we were back in the year 2000, we were having people leave high-paying positions, taking positions that pay 20% less in some cases. And, and we're talking big bucks, yeah. you know, like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 difference because it was like they, they would say to us, you can't pay me enough to stay with that employer. I had two women that I was coaching at the time, Bob. Yeah. And they were being put under a tremendous amount of pressure by their employer. One was uh, in the position she was an insurance uh, supervisor, not supervisor, but she was like a a division president or something for an insurance company. Mm -hmm. And they were cutting her staff and demanding that she produce the same level of productivity from the staff that was left, and it just wasn't going to be possible, and she had just had enough. And she walked away from tens of thousands of dollars in retirement funds. There was another woman at the same time that I was coaching who was working for a bank. She walked away from close to $100,000, but she had cancer, which she had gotten because she was under so much pressure and feeling so unhappy about being there. So... I don't know what you're going to do. 
Do you think companies get it? We had it. We had on this program last week. We talked about um, uh, the need for employers to provide. Um, a really great environment. So people love going to work. They were encouraged to be innovative. They were empowered to do things and to make decisions and how much difference that made to how long people stayed, the level of productivity um, and the word of mouth that you get from happy customers and from happy employer, employees. It makes such a difference to the bottom line. Do you think most companies get that? No. <laughs> in a word, That's a short no. Answer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, do I think that uh, that they may be put in a position where either they'll get it or they'll go out of business? It that could happen. It won't happen anytime soon because, for the most part, this high unemployment rate is masking the real issues. Hmm. But in the long run, that's why we wrote the book, How to Become an Employer of Choice, yeah. because we believed that it, in the future it will not be optional to be an employer of choice if you want to have the right people to get the job done. And if you want to attract the top talent and you want to be the most profitable, you won't have a choice but to be the employer. Yeah, and, and in this new communication environment with Facebook and Twitter and, and all the social media, um, you can go from being a rooster to a feather duster almost overnight, can't you? Look at Nokia. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought Nokia, who was a few years ago a dominant f force, um, got lazy, obviously staff weren't um, weren't being innovative, the company wasn't being innovative, and all of a sudden they're in trouble. I mean, they take over target and nobody wants them. Hmm. Uh, yes, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, and that's, quickly. And that's part of the reason why when we were writing the book Lean and Meaningful, A New Culture for Corporate America, which I wrote with my late partner, Roger Herman, um, some years ago and when we were writing that book he said we have to be very careful and I said why and he said because if you look back at all of the the companies that Tom Peters wrote about in his book In Search of Excellence yeah. 75% of them are gone mm. <laughs> that's right it's amazing isn't it it is. It's amazing. And that was, and they were in the days. Most of those companies went in the days when there wasn't the communication that there is now. I mean, if if poor customer service spreads around the world in two seconds to millions of people um, via the web, I mean, you know, it's it's it, it's going to be much more difficult for companies. It is already absolutely yeah. yes. So how do the and. Sorry. You know, that's a very interesting idea, Bob, that you just came up with that you didn't realize it. <laughs> and that is to have uh, a website where employees could could talk about their employers mm. um, in, either in a positive way or a negative way. Yeah. Now, that would be interesting, interesting. because, yeah. you know, it always used to amaze me, and I think you know, the corporate culture um, makes so much difference because I've um, had a couple of things to do with, with Apple and uh, I've been to a couple of conferences that Steve Jobs um, was speaking at. 
and he just had this mesmerising effect on employees who would, you know, run across broken glass for him. Um, mm-hmm. And look what Apple's turned out, and look how creative they are. And everybody that works for Apple absolutely loves Apple. You go to an Apple store, and there's two people to serve you for every person in the shop. Well, it used to be. <laughs> now the shops are packed. But, um, yes, the you know, shops it, are packed. It, it just shows what a difference that makes. You, you may not know this, Bob, but uh, Apple Computer is the world's most admired company right now. Yeah, I believe it. I admire them. That's a start. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> so how do small and medium businesses compete with the big guys to recruit and attract employees and retain them? Well, there's one word that, that really describes it all, and many of many small businesses can, can beat this, and that is flexible. Right. Because the larger organizations usually have much less opportunity to be flexible. Let me give you some examples. And uh, most of them are from my own personal experience. We had an organization where nobody ever left, practically. I mean, everybody loved working there. And it was because we designed the jobs to the people. Um, If we needed another job that nobody wanted to do, we'd hire a part-time high school person and let that person do it. We, if somebody couldn't, wasn't a morning person, we had one woman who was late every morning and we said, okay, we're going to institutionalize this. And uh, we changed her hours from 9 to 5 to 10 to 6. Yep. Uh, we did little things that meant a lot. We uh, subscribed to the local uh, theater. We did a, a whole year's worth of, uh, you know, theatrical productions. And we were on the road so much that we rarely had a chance to go. So we would uh, give the tickets out to yeah. our employees. We did the same thing with the symphony. We bought them AAA memberships because Roger did not want to uh, have any of our employees getting stuck on the road and not being able to get where they needed to go. We did entertainment books, which cost us maybe $25 a year. But they were just, we did all kinds of little things that meant a lot to people. And I I think that one of the top things that we did was that we looked at when we were not busy. And that was actually between Christmas and New Year's. And so we said, as long as somebody is on the telephones during that time, as long as the phones are covered by one person at all times, we don't care who's there and who's not during, right. between Christmas and New Year's. Right. So work it out and between so, yourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they did. That's great. So, so it's about it's about flexibility and really looking after employees. Joyce, we're... we're run out of time so i want to thank you very very much for giving up your time today to speak to me i really appreciate it particularly since you're about to fly halfway around the world Um, well the pleasure has been all mine thank Um, you and to find out more about joyce go to www.hermangroup.com that's www.hermangroup.com and i'll be back with more of the bob pritchard radio show right after this short break 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Business Show. Coming to you this week from Los Angeles, like the rest of the country, we have been absolutely sweltering. Uh, I just got a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a... A text from my son Hunter, uh, commenting about the um, the Gallup figures that ninety percent of people hate their jobs, and uh, it reminded me to give a plug to um, Business Rockstars. Um, Business Rockstars is on uh, KFWB News Talk nine eighty in Los Angeles, hosted by my friend Ken, and Hunter is um, an intern there at the moment through his break from, from university. And uh, so have a listen to Business Rockstars. Fantastic program, sensational guests. And uh, it's on from 2 p.m. till 4 p.m. on KFWB. Uh, I, my first email is from um, Mary O'Donnell from Denver, Colorado. Mary writes, Dear Bob, thank you for your show. As a small businesswoman, your advice is a great help to me. I also bought a copy of your book and I'm working my way through it. It is terrific information. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Now, Mary writes, I have a small team of people. How do I get them all on the same page and working together rather than one-upmanship and often working at cross-purposes? Mary, um, it took me many years to write Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets because I wanted a, a book that no matter who followed it, no matter what profession they're in or whatever they did, if they followed the steps chapter by chapter, it would guarantee them success. And from the feedback that I've been getting, um, I think that I've gone pretty close to achieving that. The first thing to do with teams is to clarify each person's skills. You know, you've got to realise that team members won't see eye to eye on every issue. In fact, won't see eye to eye on most issues. But unhealthy conflict, you know, arises when teams misunderstand each other's skills or if the directions that you give to them are ambiguous. For example, if a team member is overlooked for a role that they think they're the most qualified for, then resentment is going to build. It's also very easy to miscommunicate when you're talking to, to staff, you think you've put it very clearly, but you haven't. It reminds me of a story about um, about a penguin. I was driving down a 405 in Los Angeles and, um, you know, racing along at about 80 miles an hour. It was a nice 
open freeway and this penguin walked out in front of the car and I screeched to a halt and I slid across the road and I got the penguin and I'm standing with the penguin at the side of the road and this cop pulls up and the cop says, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I, I just stopped to save this penguin, otherwise he would have been hit by the traffic. And the cop says, okay, all right, I'll accept that. Now, tomorrow morning, first thing, you have to take this penguin to the zoo. I said, okay, sure, no problem. So about a week later, I'm walking through the Santa Monica Mall and I've got the penguin on this lovely little lead and uh, I run into the same cop and the cop says to me, hey, you, I'm going to book you. And I said, what for? And he said, I told you to take this penguin to the zoo. And I said, I did. It was a bloody good suggestion. Today we're going to the movies. Now, the cop thought he'd made it quite clear that that penguin was going to go to the zoo and stay at the zoo. That's not what I heard. I heard, take the penguin to the zoo. So while he thought he'd made himself quite clear, I heard something quite different. So it just shows you that you really need to be very clear with staff what you're saying. So let me tell you three ways to prevent disagreements in teams. Firstly, be aware of perceptions. Realise that people will always hold varying opinions of each other's expertise. Being sensitive to this and explaining why you have allocated certain roles to certain people will probably avoid that conflict. You need to communicate your rationale. So when assigning a task or asking somebody's advice, be explicit about why. I'm asking for your input because of your knowledge of X, Y, Z. So explaining your thinking will stop people from feeling slighted. You should also encourage people to speak up. So when you're allocating things or you're talking about the project, get them to ask questions. If they think they're better at handling something, tell them why you think that and have the debate amongst yourselves. Mary, thanks for your email. I hope that may be of some help to you. I'm going to send you out a copy of Marketing Magic, which is a book that I wrote three or four years ago now with um, Brian Tracy and Jay Conrad Levinson, Robert Bly and a bunch of others. I'm sure that you'll enjoy it and keep working through kick-ass business and marketing secrets. Um, The second email today, and I think the last one, is um, from Nicholas James from my hometown of Los Angeles who writes, Dear Bob, thanks for a great show. It is my one must-listen-to program every week. I heard an NPR that Facebook have just introduced their own email service. Do you know anything about it? I don't know much more than you do, Nicholas. Um, I know that Facebook just silently imposed its own email service on its 900 million or so users, um, switching the default contact address to an at facebook.com alternative. Uh, the address, these addresses use the vanity URL introduced for profile. So if your personal Facebook URL is facebook.com slash your name, then your email address will now read your name. And if you didn't set up a vanity URL, you've been defaulted to a series of numbers that Facebook assigned to your profile when you signed up for the service. There's been no word of the switch on the official Facebook blog, and I understand that many users are complaining that they were not notified of the change. The only evidence suggested this policy was being introduced is an address on Facebook news item posted in April, 
Um, apparently, Facebook considered this enough notice when asked why users were not notified. So that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Bob Pritchard Show. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. In the meanwhile, follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Hope you enjoyed today's show and I will look forward to being with you the same time next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.